Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. in the morning. That's right. I was ready to fire up the organ. I was ready to say, come on through, President Biden. I, I was ready to put my shouting shoes on when when our president, our 46th president of these United States, quoted scripture. I, I thought he was going to hoop for a moment. But listen, Philadelphia, Philly's favorite listeners, those of you joining me in the pastor's office, don't you feel like a burden has been lifted off of our shoulders? Listen, we are all people of faith, and we know that God is in control. But I've shared this with you before. Sometimes God shakes up our normal in order to get our attention. And over these last four, almost five years, he shook up our normal. Show sure enough, with a guy by the name of Donald J. Trump. Trump served as our president for four years. And in those four years, I've never seen our country in such disarray. But on January 20th, that all ended. Trump got on a helicopter, then he got on Air Force One, and now he's at Mar-a-Lago. And we wish him well. We wish his family well. We wish all of those that supported him throughout these four years, we wish them well. You know, because I'm a Christian, and, and I believe redemption is for everybody. So even though they've done some things to harm folks, even though this president leaves with the deaths of 400,000-plus Americans in his wake, not totally responsible, not totally to blame, but we have to lay some responsibility at his feet because there was not a national approach to breaking this pandemic and dealing with the issues that resulted from it. But even in the midst of all that, I wish him well. I really do. But can I say I'm thankful? I'm thankful that the Lord has allowed us to see a new day. I'm thankful that we have a new president in the Oval Office. And I'm thankful that we have our first female vice president, our first vice president of Asian descent, our first vice president of African-American descent. I don't know about you, but I'm just filled up with emotion, but I'm also filled up with hope, hope as to what will happen in our future, hope that we will have a better America as a result of the change that has taken place, and hope that this world will draw closer to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Philly's favorite listeners, welcome to the pastor's office today. We just left service. I talked about this a little bit in worship today. I wanted to share that with you as we opened up the program. But we've got a great show for you today, and I I certainly, again, appreciate you joining us. Today, we're going to be talking to the representative for the 45th Senatorial District of Pennsylvania, State Senator Jim Brewster. You know all about him. They refused to seat him just a few weeks ago. A federal judge had to tell them that the election was won even by a narrow margin, and that he had a right to his seat in the Senate. So he was seated on January the 13th. And then after we talk to State Senator Brewster, uh, we're going to be talking to City Council Member Kenyatta Johnson, who represents the 186th District of Philadelphia. We're going to talk to him about the violence surge in the city of Philadelphia and how we can handle that surge of violence in our communities. So I want you to sit back. I want you to relax, pull a couple family members up to the radio, close the windows in the car, remove all distractions, and let's have us a great conversation for the next hour here in the pastor's office on Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We'll be right back 
after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason. I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this Sunday. Uh, We are truly excited about our next guest. Uh, He is the state senator for the 45th senatorial district here in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, You heard about it a few weeks ago. Uh, He was refused uh, his seat, his fairly won seat uh, in the Pennsylvania Senate uh, due to a lawsuit that was raised by his opponent, Nicole Zeccarelli. Uh, The GOP ousted uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman uh, put in their own uh, leader, uh, Senate pro temp, uh, and 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 refused him his seat in the state Senate. Uh, we are so glad, though, that on January the 13th, he was finally seated as a result of a ruling that came down from a federal judge. So we wanted to bring him into the pastor's office today to talk about that, but most importantly, look towards the future uh, and a better country and a better Pennsylvania. Let's welcome into the pastor's office, State Senator Jim Brewster. State Senator, how are you this Sunday? I'm, I'm doing great, Pastor. Nice to hear you. Well, listen, I want to thank you for coming into the pastor's office with us. Listen, just, just it must have been surreal uh, for you to come to Harrisburg to be seated and then to have the state GOP uh, come together and refuse you your fairly won seat. Please tell us, what was going through your mind? How did you feel? Well, it, it, I was obviously disappointed. Uh, I wasn't entirely surprised, Pastor, uh, we could not get a good uh, answer from the uh, Republican side. Uh, and frankly speaking, I think it's because there was a split in their caucus. Uh, you have to understand, I've been there 10 years now, and I have friends in the Republican caucus. I I, I don't want to speak for them. There's 29 of them. Uh, I would be shocked if half of them uh, uh, really was unhappy about what happened. Now, of course, they're going to work as a team. That's the way it works. But uh, so I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen that day. And frankly, just in a nutshell, uh, I went there with my wife. Um, and, of course, we're sworn in. We put our hand on the Bible. And uh, they swore in the, uh, the Republican senators that had been reelected um, and, uh, by the judge. When they sat down, they called up the Democrats. And, of course, I was asked to go up. Uh, there were 10 of us. And uh, at that point, things sort of unraveled. And. The uh, president pro tempore, uh, Senator Corman, um, he uh, uh, introduced and uh, enforced uh, a, a uh, section uh, of the law where they can unseat the lieutenant governor uh, for a period of time. And they did that for that day. Uh, I was more than shocked at that. Now, try to understand, I'm standing about 10 feet away from Senator Corman, about 15 feet away from uh, Lieutenant Governor Corman. In the aisle is a Superior Court judge waiting to swear us in. And in the back of the room, about 50 feet away, are the families of the new members and their children. Now, you can imagine as a pastor, uh, you you know, we never want to bring fear, anxiety, stress on young people. And there were children there in some cases. And when they did the lieutenant governor, I, I got a little angry. I didn't say anything. Uh, when I look back at the uh, folks in the back of the room and realize that uh, we're not really being very good leaders and role models for the people that are here that have never been in these Senate chambers before. And I motioned to Senator Corman uh, to hold off a second. And then I talked to Senator Costa, our minority leader, and said, look, I don't want all of my colleagues not to get sworn in just because of me. We have families here. Uh, Lieutenant Governor standing up there, uh, this whole thing is starting to unravel, and it's going to be embarrassing for everyone. And I chose to step aside. We pulled our Democratic senators together. I explained to them I appreciated their support, uh, uh, but I thought it was in the best interest to step aside. I did that, and I went over and stood next to Senator Williams by the podium. He explained to the public, because this was being live-streamed, that I had chosen to step aside so that my colleagues could get sworn in. Um, It was, uh, you know, you don't often get a chance to make history. Uh, I don't recommend this being one of them, (laughs) but but, but it was. And uh, so my wife and I drove back home. 
And, uh, of course, swearing in two is what I'm calling the the next week. And, of course, as you know, that went uh, much better. But uh, it was a part of history, in my opinion, that will stain um, the process forever. Uh, What we found out, and I'm not sure very, very many people knew this, the Senate majority party does not have to seat anybody that they don't want to seat. In fact, someone even said it doesn't matter what the election was and it doesn't matter what the state, what, what the judge says. In fact, uh, the Senate majority leader, Senator Ward, said in a Facebook post, uh, the certification by uh, Secretary of State Bookbar is nothing but a piece of paper and the Supreme Court judges misinterpreted the law. That's that's her first comment as a newly elected leader. It's going to be a long couple of years. You know, uh, that's not how you start off leading. You lead pastor, as you well know, as a pastor, you lead folks, whether whether we're all in agreement or not. That's what leadership's about. It's lonely and it's a difficult job. And she's already failed her first step. Wow. Wow. You know, the what what strikes me is that you've been in those Senate chambers for 10 years. Uh, these are guys that you've gone to lunch with, uh, no doubt talked about your families, uh, no doubt had social experiences together. Uh, it, it boggles my mind uh, that, 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 that politics, uh, the politics of this day, uh, have really, I don't know if it's brought out the real personalities of people, uh, or if it's just put us into cliques uh, that, in some cases, common sense can't even permeate. I, I mean, I, you've been there 10 years. These are people you know. Uh, what did it feel like to look at people that you have worked with on legislation, that you have done good work with, just just turn into different types of people? Well, Pastor, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I was saddened by that. Uh, and, you know, I looked in the eyes of a few of them, and I could see they were saddened. But, you know, the, the, what the public doesn't know, which is sad, is the majority party, not all of them, but the ones, there's a power control, there's a, there's a control issue in the Republican caucus. This is my opinion. And that's why this happened. It wasn't an anti-Brewster thing. There was a split in the Republican caucus. This had to do with leadership in their caucus. They were split. And then, Pastor, there's this thing called veto override. They need 32, 33 votes to override or a veto of the governor. And I would have been number 30. So it, it became that kind of power. What bothered me most of all is the, 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 the handful of Republicans that did this, led by Senator Ward, used the public, Republicans, their constituents, to justify this. Their constituents had no idea what they were doing or why they were doing it. And most of them didn't agree with it. There was a case, Pastor, real quick. They exercised a Senate rule where the Senate really is the only one that has the power to seat a senator or swear them in. There was a senator years ago who was under indictment, won their election, and was convicted. And, of course, the Senate said, we're not going to seat somebody that's been convicted. That makes sense. Nowhere was that rule ever designed to not seat somebody just because the votes didn't go the way they wanted it to. And that's where we're at. It's a shame. It's a mess. Have you seen, um, have you seen State Senator, in the last four years, uh, the partisan divide grow deeper and wider uh, or is this something in your mind that's just been existent and, and, and we have to work to overcome it? Well, I think it's gotten, I think it's gotten worse in Pennsylvania. And, and, but, but as I said, Pastor, I have bipartisan support. Uh, Democrat, I'm a Democrat, but I'm Democrat, Republican, independent support. And I know the average person, regardless of party affiliation, did not appreciate what they did. I mean, I have gotten letters and emails and texts from all over the country, some out of the country, and from Republicans in some cases. They, they have, their question to me is, Senator, how, why are they doing this? 
you won. Now, for those people that think of close, there are many close elections in Philadelphia, Allegheny County, every election. I mean, it, there, that happens every time. Uh, that doesn't mean you go to – now, understand, they went to common police court. Uh, they went to um, the Supreme Court. They went back to the state Supreme Court and asked for reconsideration. And then they went to the federal judge who ruled in our favor. Now, that's a lot of expense. It's a lot of time uh, and embarrassment uh, to not seat the person that won the election. Um, That's how split and divided and the gap has gotten wider. There's no question. Let's let's take a let's take a what I like to call a wusa moment. Let's take a deep breath. Okay, yesterday uh, uh, on the twentieth, uh, the world witnessed the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden as President Kamala, Kamala Harris uh, as the first female uh, of black, uh, first female and then female black and of Asian descent uh, in the history of our country. It seems like, as I look at uh, the confirmation of uh, uh, one of Biden's first uh, appointees, an 84 to 10 vote, it seems like uh, we want to start coming together uh, now that uh, Trumpism uh, may be in our rearview mirror. And I say maybe in our rearview mirror. Uh, what do you forecast on the state level? Uh, obviously, the Republicans are in control uh, of the Senate. Uh, there's much needed legislation that has to get passed in order to help Pennsylvania overcome this pandemic environment. Uh, do you see us being able to really move and get some things done uh, in this session? Yeah, I, you know, that's an interesting question, Pastor, and I, I'm, I'm an optimist, and all of my comments uh, since my little event here a couple of weeks ago uh, have been just that, that there's no sense looking back um, because you can't change that. So we have to move forward. Um, I'm certainly willing to. Uh, the folks that, that have an unreadiness with uh, the way the, the election went and tried uh, a power uh, play, which was um, illegal and, and unnecessary, uh, only made the split deeper. But I believe that there are more people, Democrat and Republican, in that room that want harmony. Um, and I think uh, uh, President Biden said it. I don't want to misquote him. He said, step back, take a deep breath, you know, just like you just said. And and let's move forward together, step by step, and, and, and w- without you know radical uh, comments and efforts on on either side. I will say this to you, Pastor. To that point, it was interesting to me about I'm going to say two months before the general election, we actually I'm the chairman of Law and Justice, Minority Chair, and uh, we had two days of intense testimony. And we were able to pass two bills of police reform working together. Passed. And I thought, gee, this is a great step. Now, understand what was missed in that. We had the FOP, the state police. We had um, the NAACP. We had other uh, uh, public defenders from Philly. We had testimony from experts and we were able to pass two bills of police reform with absolute agreement. It never got any public, nothing in the paper to speak of, never came up in elections. Uh, so when we do take a step forward, it just seems like we could push back two steps uh, for whatever reason. But, but that told me that we have the ability in Pennsylvania to gather our thoughts, be professional, and represent the 12 and a half million people we're supposed to. Well, you think about it this way. If our politicians, by and large, would remember why they're there, you know, would remember who it is they represent, uh, then we can get a lot more done. Uh, 
Uh, and it just it just uh, seems to me that sometimes when we get into those chambers, uh, we think more about the party than the people. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but as we do look forward here to 2021, we know that uh, nationwide we've got about 17 million uh, that have been vaccinated with this coronavirus, way, way under uh, what expectations were as of the new president being sworn in. Uh, uh, we know his goal is 100 million within 100 days, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, it does take vaccines in arms uh, to break this pandemic. Uh, but outside of vaccinations, what in your mind as the representative uh, coming out of Allegheny, Pittsburgh, home of Kurt Angle and Bruno San Martino, I had to say that before we got off the air, <laughs> State Senator, I'm a big wrestling fan, but, 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 but coming from that area, what's number one and two on your agenda as things that have to be handled right now as we attempt to recover? Well, Pastor, another great question. And, and they are the same things that I've been working on for the previous eight years. I was the former mayor of the city, great city of McKeesport, and I have third-class cities like Clarendon and Duquesne and, and Braddock and what have you, 38 different communities, actually. And, and, I, and I said to folks, let's not forget what we were talking about 24 months ago. And they look at me. Like a deer in a headlight. I said, remember all the overdoses, those with addiction issues uh, that have been arrested and should be in a, a recovery facility instead of a jail. Um, those that are dying from fentanyl. That hasn't stopped. That's still going on. And uh, the second thing was, uh, if you recall, 24 months ago, mass shootings. How do we deal with that? The mental health. So I always get to my three core causes. I don't want to talk about guns. I don't want to talk about uh, incarceration. I want to talk about addiction, mental health, and poverty. If we can put the energy, the time, and the money into those three issues, those other things will start to diminish. But, you know, we had at one time 25 mental health uh, institutions in the state. Maybe not the way we want them today. And we had five jails. Now we have 25 jails, five mental health. We're going the wrong direction. Uh, poverty in my district is running rampant. Uh, and and I, I know in your area out there you have a similar problem. Yeah, um, so we have to deal with those core causes. And until we get, I mean, I've been the, the, the I was just reelected the chairman of McKeesport Housing Authority. I think it's the second oldest one in Pennsylvania. This is my 31st year as chairman and, and uh, in our public housing, trying to, to give folks a place to feel comfortable until we can get them jobs, get them on their feet, uh, uh, get them out of a life of, of, uh, of addiction uh, and in this, this generation after generation of poverty. Uh, so, I know all too well uh, what that what that's going to take, but it's going to take all of us. And one of the problems you run into, it's not that folks are insensitive to these three things. Some of these districts don't see much of that. And, and if you go around the state of Pennsylvania, there are some real regional differences. And uh, I saw that in, in my district. I have two counties, Allegheny County and Westmoreland County. So it's hard to get folks... Uh, for example, if you're a small business person right now, you, you, you have problems and you need help. Um, you, you may not have needed that help three years ago, but because of the pandemic, life has changed. Well, who works for the people that own the small businesses? Generally, people making minimum wage or That's a little right. more. That's right. So they're barely making, they're barely above poverty. Um, so we have to continue to, to understand that jobs, People need jobs. They need trained for jobs. We need recovery uh, facilities where folks uh, uh, that, that have fallen into addiction can go before they bought them out and end up uh, uh, robbing a Rite Aid or something. Um, and we need to deal with the mental health. If, if you look at, at least in my experience here, almost every mass shooting had a mental health background. In some cases, they were even reaching out for help. Now, how do you, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, 
But we can't ignore the fact that there are people out there on any given day, the switch could go off. And, 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 you know, we have quite a few here in my city, Monarch Mental Health, and a lot of uh, first-line responders that are really good at what they do. They're understaffed, pastor. They don't have the money. Uh, we have to look at these things. So that's kind of where my future has been and will continue to be. Well, I appreciate that. And I wrote that down because I think that's a important. You know, you said poverty, mental health, and addiction. Uh, and, and if we can handle those issues, I think you're right. I think those are the building blocks for a better society, uh, getting that under control. I'll just share with you very briefly. You know, we're here in Philadelphia. Philly's favor reaches, you know, all of Philadelphia. And uh, on Saturday, uh, we took a van uh, and we rode, means nothing to you, but uh, in context to our listeners, they get it. Uh, we drove under the L train from Folk Rod Street down to Lehigh uh, with about 15 bags of coats, hats, socks, and gloves. By the time we got to Lehigh Avenue, which is only about two and a half miles, each time we pulled the van over, the van was swarmed with people needing these items. And within two and a half miles, three miles, Everything that we had was gone. Everything that we had was gone. And there were people uh, pulling up to our van that never, ever thought they'd be in need. And so that's why I always say to our elected officials that come on the show, you know, we got to stop the bickering and remember what's actually going on in these streets. People are hurting right now. And none of us ever expected to live through a pandemic. But we are. But together we can come out of it. Uh, We're listening to State Senator Jim Brewster, uh, who represents the 45th Senatorial District here on Philly's Favor. And, and State Senator, I really appreciate your time, but I've got to end off with a question I ask all of our elected officials. I need to get your take on this. With this pandemic now being almost a year old, many of our young people have had to move to a virtual learning experience. And you know and I know. And listen, uh, I, I went to elementary school in the 70s. Uh, so I, I come from chalkboards uh, and notebook paper and pencil sharpeners. Uh, and, and and I will tell anybody, I'm a visual learner. I got to see it and I've got to be able to ask questions. Our children now, in many respects, in most cases, have been in a virtual learning environment for a year. And you know as well as I do. That in this in this type of scenario, in many respects, all the kid has to do is show up and do the basics to pass because they're not holding children back. And it's impossible to hold them accountable in this type of environment. What are we going to do as a state when we come out of this pandemic to catch these children up? Because there are many of them that have fallen behind. There are many of them that don't have workspaces at home where they can work. Internet, a parent that can help them. I'm concerned about our young people. State Senator, what's on the agenda? How do we catch them up? Well, Pastor, first of all, thank you for the work you do at your church. I mean, that's very impressive. And, and just so you know, I have three daughters who teach in public schools, and I have a degree in education, and I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I think you and I know that being in person with a teacher, some of the teachers that you and I remember, uh, we may not remember exactly what they taught us, but what they did is they made us feel we were important. That's right. They, they knew our name. They put their arm around us. Some of us, that's the only place we get any attention. I get You're with it 100%. Uh, now, I'm also on the School Safety and Security Commission and the Education Committee, and I'm with you because we know we need more money in the school systems, particularly the, the public schools, and we have to give them the – we have to update. Some of these schools, understand, you go to one community, it's the Cadillac. You go into some communities uh, – I have one community – their backup generator is a is a Chrysler for uh, a Chrysler motor out of an automobile. Wow! So there are huge gaps uh, uh, it, it, around this state where even before the pandemic, uh, students weren't getting the uh, financial support they should have gotten. And I know Senator Hughes out of uh, uh, Philly is a good friend, and and he's worked hard on this. He's actually come to my district, and we're just looking at the buildings and and the facilities. Uh, how we can make them more modern, uh, easier for the children to learn. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so I go with you. I used to remember the blackboards because I had to go out and uh, 
and bang the, the uh, eighth That's right. That's right. when yes. I was bad. I know you never had to do that. No, I no, I did. I did, State Senator. <laughs> and right on the board over and over again, I will behave. So. <laughs> See, we must have been in the same school district. That's but right. Anyway, I, I, think, I think we have a plan. Um, and uh, look, if, if, if there's going to be online education, it has to be a, a supplement to the in-person. It can't be the basic. Basic education, you need to, in my opinion, you need to be in front of a human being teaching. And guess what? You need classmates. That's how we grow. That's right. I mean, you have to be able to interact with people. You have to be able to socialize when you go out. And 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 there's nothing in the book that tells you about that. That's right. I mean, uh, so I think there's a lot more to, uh, to be done in terms of the actual infrastructure. Uh, we talk, and we've given quite a bit of money. The it's been upgraded since uh, uh, Governor Wolf's been there. But uh, the the uh, money set aside in the budget for education has really gone up uh, compared to the last uh, uh, administration that, that cut education by a billion dollars. Keep in mind, we had to try and recover from a cut of one billion dollars in public education. That was just before the pandemic started, wow. so it was a double whammy. For well, really everybody, but education in particular. Um, but no, I think the commitments there, Pastor. I think, and that's half the battle. If you if you can get folks, regardless of party affiliation, to put that aside and say, listen, we always talk about our children are our greatest asset, and I tell them, well, let's start acting like it. That's all you got to say. Yes, sir. That could mean money. It could be more teachers. I mean, think about it. it wasn't so long ago they wanted to take nurses out of the schools. I, I couldn't even fathom that. Um, we have fixed that problem. Um, just automation, trying to get equipment into public school districts. You take Philadelphia is huge. Uh, their school district, Allegheny County, huge. Um, those are the two biggest. And and uh, I watched very closely uh, Superintendent Hammond here now in uh, Pittsburgh. I think he's doing a great job. But you know, uh, it's not easy. And when I see him, I always say, "What do you need?" And, of course, good, a good superintendent always needs something. Um, but I think the attitude right now is pretty good for improving the ability for teachers to teach, to keep the kids safe uh, physically uh, from these mass shootings or potential shootings, uh, give superintendents a chance to do what they have to do, and also take a real close look at the testing. Because I think the point you brought up, Pastor, right now, the testing for students the past year – has to be different because they didn't have the opportunity. So uh, we don't want anybody that's a year or two away from going to college being harmed by something that nobody had any control of. Right. Uh, the SATs and, and uh, some of the other tests, that uh, standardized testing, uh, that, that we have to take a close look at all of that. Absolutely. Well, listen, State Senator Jim Brewster, representing the 45th Senatorial District here in the state of Pennsylvania, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us this Sunday afternoon in the pastor's office. And I want to wish you well, sir. And please know that you have a platform here uh, anytime you need to get a message out to our listeners or anytime you need support. Sir, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Pastor. You've been very kind. Stay right there, Philly's Favorite listeners. We'll be right back with City Council Member Kenyatta Johnson. Philly's Favorite listeners, welcome back into the Pastor's Office. And let me again thank State Senator Jim Brewster uh, for being with us in our first segment today. Uh, but I want to now pivot and move right into Philadelphia. Uh, can I move right to your doorstep? Uh, because we've got some things we need to talk about. And, and for the purposes of that conversation, uh, I've invited into the Pastor's Office City Council Member Member Kenyatta Johnson. Uh, he represents the second district of Philadelphia. Uh, and, and City Council Member Johnson, come on in. Welcome to the pastor's office. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Mason. I appreciate you for um, inviting me on your show today. And uh, most importantly, um, I also am a man of God. And so I learned as a young man, only what you do for Christ uh, will last. And I come by way of Tasker Street Baptist Church 
here in the city of Philadelphia under the leadership of Pastor James A. Lovett. Oh, yes, sir. Pastor Lovett uh, was, a gr- was a great friend uh, of my father. My father actually pastored the church I pastored now, Northeast Baptist Church, uh, for 41 years. And uh, Lovett was one of his great friends. You come from good stock, uh, Council <laughs> Member Johnson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, here's what I know, and I, and I want you to understand the, the meaning behind coming in the pastor's office. Since you grew up in the church, uh, you understand that when them deacons started thinking that they were running the church, they got called into <laughs> the pastor's office. And, and when the choir sung a little out of tune, uh, that choir director got called into the pastor's office. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. listen, when the trustees won't cut the right checks, where'd they have to go? Right into the pastor's office. Pastor's so, office. So, our, right. so our goal, our <laughs> Our goal with this show is to bring folk into the pastor's office and deal with real issues. Uh, and so I'm glad to have you here today. Uh, and, and, and I want to I talk to you about something I witnessed uh, last Saturday. Uh, we went out, uh, and I'm, uh, uh, our radio station is uh, in, in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia. Uh, and we went up to the L train. Uh, and we went from uh, Folk Rod Street down to Lehigh. Uh, we had probably about 250 coats, winter coats, uh, hats, gloves, uh, scarves. Uh, and it was our intent in on that afternoon uh, to give some out as we drove down the street, but then visit three shelters and drop the rest off. Uh, uh, city Council member, by the time we got to Lehigh Avenue, Every item that we took was gone. Every place we pulled over uh, um, on uh, Frankfurt Avenue, uh, every place we were swarmed by people needing these items. Uh, It is scary uh, what I saw last Saturday. Uh, The homeless population has grown significantly. Uh, And I know this has to be a topic of conversation uh, in the city council. Uh, What are we doing to deal with this epidemic? We'll deal with the pandemic, but what are we doing to deal with this epidemic? Well, first and foremost, um, I work in partnership with my colleague, uh, Maria Keona Sanchez, and Councilman Mark Squiller, who both represent um, portions of the Frankfurt area. And just making sure that we're doing aggressive outreach um, around that particular area. And also, it's, it also curtails in addressing the issue of the opioid crisis, right? Because you have a lot of individuals out there who are getting involved in drugs. And so we're aggressively uh, making sure that we're providing the level of resources that individual needs when it comes to drug and addiction counseling, um, focusing on the issue of housing, and most importantly, addressing the issue of mental health uh, for individuals who are homeless and individuals who are out there uh, engaging in a life of um, getting high and being addicted to drugs and seeing how we could be supportive of them um, from that aspect. So it's something definitely um, that's on our radar and something that I'm working in partnership with my colleagues and making sure um, that we are addressing. And, 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 and that segues right into another thought that I had about what I witnessed there. Uh, we were, we rode past at least, and, 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 and I know them to be real, but it was just to witness it just, just kind of shocked me. We rode past at least two open air markets uh, where people were shooting up uh, uh, in broad daylight, city council yes. member, in broad yes. daylight. And wait a second. There were cop cars riding by and and were doing nothing. It's like these are acceptable places for people to shoot up. Uh, it, 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 it scared me because what I saw there, City Council Member Johnson, was walking death. Yes, yes. And, you know, for me, you know, obviously um, that part of the city isn't in my district. But, I, again, I work very closely with Maria Keona Sanchez who's my colleague, and we both recognize that it's totally unacceptable. Uh, we have been taking the mayor's office to task and making sure that um, they are providing aggressive resources and, and, and addressing the issue in that area. There will be a new sub-police station that will be planted in that particular area from a public safety standpoint, but we also need to do more as it relates to the aggressive outreach that's needed to get those individuals the help that they need 
why they're getting high out on the street. Yeah, no, and I want to be clear. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I know the areas that you represent, and we appreciate the work that you do there. But, but what happens? in the area that I'm speaking of is just a micro of the macro. Uh, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's going on all yeah. over Philadelphia. Uh, and and so it's just concerning uh, to me as a pastor. What, what, it, what it caused me to say to the congregation on Sunday is we got a lot more work to do. We can't Absolutely. pat ourselves on the back for any one effort or two efforts. Uh, yeah. As long as people are still out there and, and still in trouble, there's work to do. Uh, but, but I just and wanted I, to... And, and, I'll, and I'll say this, I appreciate that you, um, your congregation, are outside doing outreach. You know, oftentimes, again, you know, when I grew up in a church, you know, a lot of times when I grew up, I remember my pastor, another pastor, Bishop Gaines, um, another pastor is a good friend of mine, my big brother, Pastor Daniel Black. These guys used to go out into the street, up with hope, down with dope, organize. Um, South Philadelphia-wide basketball leagues, faith-based basketball leagues as a way to get young men off the corner. And so I like that you and your congregation were out and about talking to the people outreaching to the people, and at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, let, let's pivot to something that I know is very important to you, uh, something you've been working on closely here for a while, uh, and it is the surge in violence that we see in our city. Uh, we all know what happened last year with Walter Wallace. Uh, personally, I don't think it got enough attention nationwide. Uh, personally, I don't think there was enough done about it. I had the mayor on, uh, I want to say, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, and and we talked about uh, has he now redoubled or has he been able to get the funding uh, to have the right people on the other side of the phone when there's a mental issue? Or are we still sending beat cops out uh, 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 to matters of this nature? So we've got a, a couple issues we want to talk about. One is the issue of policing in black communities, but the other is the issue of crime uh, that is perpetrated in black communities by black people. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about both of those with you today. Let, let's start with police policing in the black community. Uh, a lot of our communities feel like uh, the police are, are uh, occupiers. Uh, you know, what do we do to, to, to try to ease those tensions and build better relationships? Yeah, well, on the city side, um, I, I, I am vice chair of public safety and city council, and so we work very closely with um, commission. Police Commissioner Daniel Outlaw, but also um, the local district captains that operate police department advisory councils. There are police department advisory councils in every police district here in the city of Philadelphia, and really finding ways to recruit, encourage, and engage the surrounding community to participate in that process. That allows that relationship between our Philadelphia Police Department members and members of our community to have a chance to dialogue and really get a chance to work together and see things from each other's perspective when it comes to policing in our community. But also as a member of council, I introduced legislation that was passed and signed into law that will ban, and this was in honor of George Floyd, it would ban police officers, police officers from using tactics that will result in an individual losing their breath. And so a classic example is putting your knee on the neck of an individual over a long period of time, which will result in them losing their breath, which will result in them dying by, by being smothered. And we've also introduced a new police oversight um, board um, that will be um, implemented um, when the summer comes to begin looking at how do you monitor the actions that can be, be deemed illegal of our Philadelphia um, police department. So um, those are a couple of initiatives that uh, pieces of legislation and public policy um, that we passed in city council that will put us on a path of monitoring and most importantly improving and building the trust between the residents here in the city of Philadelphia and also our Philadelphia police department. But it's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, we know about implicit bias. We know about institutional and systematic racism. And so um, it's going to take a lot of work, but at the end of the day, um, that work must be done if we're going to make sure that the Philadelphia Police Department is doing right by the individuals in which they are policing. But even before uh, we had issues such as 
um, George Floyd and Walter Wallace um, in my community of Point Breeze, South Philadelphia, I, I run a organization called Peace Not Guns. Um, and every summer we would have a um, basketball game with, with the young people who attend the Point Breeze Youth Development Basketball League and members of the Philadelphia Police Department as a way to build that bridge between the police officers and the young men. So hopefully from that relationship, when that officer pulls that young man off over, there's a level of familiarity. They may know one another as relates to the community policing of our neighborhood, and it hopefully won't result in a young person losing their life. And so uh, we have to be active in finding innovative ways to also build the relationship between the Philadelphia Police Department, our law enforcement community, and, and members of our community as well. Yeah, you know what? And I want to commend you for the legislation that you've pushed through. Uh, I, I've also I also want to commend uh, a new member to the council, uh, uh, Catherine Gilmore Richardson, for the legislation that she yes. pushed past uh, yes. or pushed uh, to make sure that there was public comment uh, on this on the new police contracts and all contracts going forward. I think it's very important uh, that the mayor and those representing uh, the parties negotiating these contracts know what the public has to say uh, about about what's going on in these communities. That being said, you mentioned you said a word that I think is very important. You said familiarity. Familiarity. When we talk about community policing, uh, one of the things that I brought up to to, to Councilmember Richardson, Councilmember Quinones, uh, to the mayor uh, is: Are there recruiting dollars uh, that are being that are being budgeted to attract? Police officers of all ethnicities, and and, and let me and, and, and let me let me let me kind of. I know this is nothing earth shattering, but but here's my 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 naive thought. If somebody is in trouble in Frankfurt, uh, and they see somebody who came up through Frankfurt uh, in a badge and in a in a blue outfit, maybe they're more prone to have a conversation uh, and work together. If somebody down on Pemberton Street in South Philadelphia sees somebody that came from the area, that went to school there, that knows their relatives, you know, it, it, to me, that's what you call the essence of the community policing policing itself. Am I crazy for thinking that can happen? Is is it unrealistic? Not at all. Actually, uh, my colleague, Council President Daryl Clark, introduced legislation um, that will require um, Philadelphia Police Department recruitment members um, to live in the city of Philadelphia um, so we can recruit more African-American and people of color um, to join the ranks of our Philadelphia um, Police Department. So uh, we're pushing in that direction um, right now. The current policy is you can live outside the city of Philadelphia, and what you have happening is pretty much people coming from the outside of our community and not policing but occupying. Yes, sir. Occupying our community. So there's no connection. There's no relationship, right? And as a result, when you have a conflict, it can escalate very quickly because you have two people who are speaking two totally different languages. And it's not like the days of old where you had real community policing, where you had that officer out on the beat 24-7, working in relationships with members of the community, and that's not the case today. And so that legislation, uh, actually, if I'm correct, because we are in 2021, is already in effect to begin recruiting people from Philadelphia, primarily black and brown people, to join the ranks of the Philadelphia Police Department. And so... You're definitely going in the right direction because that's what we're going to need in order for us to change this negative relationship between members of our law enforcement community and people who live inside our neighborhoods. Yeah, and 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 I am in the redemption business. Uh, I'm in the salvation business. Uh, my job is to spread the message of Jesus, and then after I tell them about it, uh, Jesus does the rest, right? So, so I believe people can be redeemed. But but let let, let me say this. I think it is. I think it is. Um, fantasy uh, 
uh, for us to believe that we can change the mind of a racist. A racist is a racist. Uh, and, and there are a whole lot of racists out there that wear badges. Uh, and, and so, and so uh, it, just, it just to me seems like if, and I'm glad to hear about that legislation, but if we can get people in communities that look like the folk that come out of those communities, you know, I just think that things can get better faster. But but that's on the city side. On the community side, what 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 initiatives do you see? Uh, I know you talked about the fact that you uh, operate a program where, you know, they have a basketball game and they get to know one another. But but citywide on the community side, what can we do to better those relationships in your opinion? I would encourage individuals who have organizations to reach out to their local police district and find different initiatives in which they will be willing to partner with them on. Um, and Southwest Philadelphia is a part of my district where um, there are members of the community that have, have organizations that, that engages in different activities, like Know Your Rights activities with the Philadelphia Police Department, um, career affairs with the Philadelphia Police Department. And these are initiatives that are driven by community-based organizations being proactive. Because at the end of the day, the officers aren't going anywhere. We aren't going anywhere. And so it would be it would, it would be in our best interest and the officers' best interest for us to find common ground on how we are going to work together moving forward. And so I encourage organizations to be proactive, figure out ways to, to partner with your local police department on initiatives that you think are important. And I know that in, 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 in South Philadelphia, the Know Your Rights workshops are pretty significant because you're working with actual police officers and members of the community teaching young people and people in general how to engage with the police officers, particularly what rights that do you have when you are pulled over. And so you will know when you're engaging with them, right, what your rights are and how they should be responding to you so you won't be railroaded in any situation. And so we have to be proactive on our end and really create the agenda and put that agenda in front of uh, members of our law enforcement community because ultimately they work for us. We're the taxpayers at the end of the day. Councilman Johnson, can I just be real for a second? It is refreshing to have somebody elected to office that actually comes on uh, the show and gives real answers. My board op is over here shaking his head right now because we've had so, I'm not going to name names, but we've had so many politicians come on the show and you ask them a very pointed question and I don't know where they go with their answers, but <laughs> but it's not to the question I asked. And it just drives me crazy. So I appreciate the, the real answers you're giving today about real issues that are affecting our people. Uh, I'm going to pivot here. Let's talk about the violence in our communities. Um, uh, uh, Brothers killing brothers, sisters fighting sisters. Uh, um, It is, in my opinion, um, at an all-time high. Uh, And I know this is something that's very sensitive uh, and something that's a passion point for you. You know, what, what, are, what are we doing to, to help address these matters? Well, first and foremost, not enough, because we've had 500 um, homicides in 2020, 100 um, plus young people, teenagers murdered in the city of Philadelphia, and 2,000 plus shootings. Um, today, we're up to close to 30 homicides here in the city of Philadelphia. Shootings are up, and we're just starting off our new year, and so we definitely aren't going in the right direction. But as chair of the Special Committee on Gun Violence, I've been working very closely with our district attorney, our Philadelphia Police Commissioner, the Office of Violence Prevention, on strategies and ways and how we can get a hold on this issue. Uh, we have an office that's going to be opening up this summer called the Office of Victim Advocates to make sure that um, that mother, um, that father, those funerals that you preside over, of uh, the young men who, lose, who have lost their lives to gun violence, uh, we want to make sure that those families have a voice as it relates to the policies and the resources to support those who have lost loved ones um, to gun violence. And so that's legislation I pushed through, was able to get funding 
um, to create the Office of Victim Advocates. So I'm pretty proud about that because uh, when you lose a loved one, there's always going to be a hole, right? Um, that person isn't going to be coming um, to the house for dinner. They will not be spending holidays with you. And sometimes when we talk about issues around criminal justice reform, uh, which is great, which I support, um, those victims who have lost loved ones to gun violence um, don't have a voice. And so we want to make sure that their voices are heard and, and address their trauma because we know hurt people hurt people. That's right. And most importantly, help them put their lives back together. But I will also say this, Pastor, we have to be just as aggressive in addressing the issue of gun violence, right, as we are when we address the issues of police reform. And I have a track record of introducing legislation and policies to, to hold our law enforcement community accountable. But just as equally, we have to be aggressive and passionate about that nine-year-old little girl who lost her life to gun violence yesterday. The 30 young men who have died to gun violence thus far this year here in the city of Philadelphia. So we have to be just as outraged and demanding that not only our elected officials are stepping up to address this issue. I want to be real clear about this. Our community has to say enough is enough. Say it again. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired That's of right. our black young men being murdered in the streets of Philadelphia. And I believe when we get to that point, um, things will begin to change. Um, the same way, again, we march and protest around the issue of police reform and the differences we have um, allies, so to speak, um, who are Caucasian, that have stepped up and supported the police reform movement. But oftentimes when I hold a rally or a march, I don't see that same level of support when a black child dies in the street of Philadelphia. And hopefully we will get to a point uh, where our allies will step up and be supportive of this issue of gun violence. But even separate from that, just as a people, we have to control our own community and our own destiny and say, listen, enough is enough. We're not going to take it anymore. You see something, say something, but that's something we want to protect and save our young people. And also recognize that on our end, as elected officials, we're fighting to make sure our young people have resources so they don't pick up a gun in the first place. But, but let, 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 me, let me say this. You know, I agree with you 100% that the community has to step up. If they see something, they got to say something. We got to stop acting like we've got – we don't need to protect Ray Ray and JoJo and, and, and all the rest of them. And that's what happens in a lot of our communities. We know who did it. We saw them. But yet when the police come around to ask questions, we don't Nobody say a word. Them. Everybody, everybody's hear no evil, see no evil. And, 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 and it's not fair. It's not right. I've done too many funerals in this neighborhood uh, of, for, for people who were murdered, and the crimes were never solved. That has to end. Has to end. And, and we have to demand that they're solved. We have to demand that, again, our homicide unit is on top of their case. But also, and I, and I, and I talk to different homicide detectives that work different cases when I'm dealing with families who have lost loved one to gun violence and a key component, they need information, which means people have to step up and say, listen, you know what? Here's the information. I told the district attorney today in a meeting that we were in and um, Benjamin Nass and the Philadelphia Police Department that if the issue is about witness protection and witnesses aren't coming forward, then what are we doing to correct it? And that goes back to what you talked about early on about police and how they are policing our communities, these two issues go hand in hand because if we don't trust the police, right, we don't trust that system. Because we ain't telling them treated, nothing. We ain't telling them a thing. I'm not going to tell you anything. That's right. right? And so that's, that plays a big role. So I told them that today. I said the onus is on, on, on you as law enforcement officials to find a way to make the community feel comfortable and bringing forward information to you, even if it's anonymous tips or you create a tip box. I remember when I was an intern with, with a former state representative by the name of Harold James. He's a former police officer. And I remember we were working with some churches in South Philly during my intern where what they came up with was if you had information about a homicide or a shooting or, or a violent crime act in the neighborhood and you didn't want to go to the police, you can come to the church and do a tip box put information inside the tip box and go about your business. 
and at least that will give the detectives or the officers some information to go off of when it comes to solving some of these homicides and shootings that are in our community. But I remain hopeful that we will, we will stay vigilant in addressing this issue because our young people, our babies, their lives are at stake, and we don't want to have a genocide of a whole generation of young people if we don't get our hands around this issue. Well, Councilman Kenyatta Johnson, I want to thank you. This is our first time ever talking, but I want you to know something right now. Uh, Philly's Favor is Philadelphia's new, all-new gospel radio station. Uh, we're about to make a huge announcement here in a couple days about our new morning show. It's going to be somebody that you guys all know and love. Uh, and we're about the business of this Philadelphia community. Uh, we're about ministry. But I also want you to know this. You've you've impressed me greatly here today with, with, with your responses and what you're doing. You have a platform right here anytime you want it to be able to get information out to the community, to be able to drive people to rallies that you are hosting. Whatever you need, we're going to make sure you've got our information. You call us anytime because I'm down with folk that are down with the people, and I can hear it in your voice. You're down with the people. We appreciate you, man. Well, listen, thanks for having me on. And just because we're in the pastor's office, again, I'll reiterate, right? I am elected official. But I learned from my grandmother that only what you do for Christ will last. And so that's not going to get me into heaven. I recognize that being a testimony and saving souls will play a major role um, in getting me there. But I thank you for putting this platform forward from a faith-based standpoint because it's much needed. To see the work that you're doing and being out on the forefront and addressing this issue. On this Saturday, we are doing a gun buyback. Um, one in South Philadelphia at Yesha Ministries Church from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, we're giving out $100 gift certificates to Brown ShopRite if people turn in um, their guns. And also we're going to be doing one at Greatest Exodus Baptist Church um, in North Philadelphia um, at 405 North Broad Street, from, again, from 10 a.m. Um, to 2 p.m. And again, it's the gun buyback. We believe that as many guns that we can get off the street can help go toward addressing this issue of senseless gun violence. And according to our former police commissioner, Ross, a significant amount of guns that are on the street are guns that are stolen. And so if you know an individual who has a gun in their home and they just want to get rid of their, their gun, they will receive a $100 gift certificate. And, and I will wrap up on this. We have to track and find out where these, where these illegal guns are coming from because we know it. There are no guns made in Strawberry Mansion, Frankfurt, That's or right. Point Reyes Avenue. But nevertheless, every young person who's out there um, engaging in an act of gun violence and crime somehow has a gun with it with an extended clip. And I know just from the work that I'm doing, and so that's another part of the conversation we'll have at another time. But we have to also find out how are these guns flooding basically black communities. The same way crack flooded our communities and the crack came from somewhere, these guns are coming from somewhere because they aren't the same guns that I used to see as a young man before God gave, gave me a chance to do the work that I'm doing right now. These guns are high-power artillery, and it seems like everybody has one. So listen, Pastor Mason, I thank you for having me on, um, and good bless, God bless, and I'm here anyway. I can support you as well. All right. Thank you so much, and we'll be talking to you real soon, man. Keep up the great work. All right. Take care. Philly's favorite listeners, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this Sunday. Uh, It is my prayer, as it always is, that you receive some good information and maybe some things that make you say, hmm, I desire for us as a Philadelphia community to see a better day, and I believe we will, but we've all got to come together. We've all got to work together. We've got to realize that there are members of our community that are hurting right now. Let's remember what State Senator Brewster said. Mental health, poverty, and addiction. Uh, I can tell you I see it all over Philadelphia. And when we, those of us that are fortunate enough to be in a position to help, can come together despite party, despite political leanings, despite ideologies, and work on these three core issues and some others, Uh, I promise you we can see a better day, uh, not just as a Philadelphia community, but as a society. Hey, listen, 
I'm praying for each and every one of you. Have a wonderful week. Have a joyous week. Don't you take one minute for granted. If you love somebody, why don't you tell them? If you're mad at somebody, don't you let the sun set on that anger. Make up with them today because tomorrow is not promised. I'll see you right back here, if it be the Lord's will, in the pastor's office next Sunday. Same Holy Ghost time, same Holy Ghost place. But until then, as we leave each other's presence, don't you ever leave the presence of the Lord because he's got you covered. See you next week. Let's take a little time and talk now. About the state that we are living in mm. Political, spiritual, maybe some lies While you're while listening to Phyllis Faber yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio Just for a minute, just for a minute.